Hey everyone, this is Zach, out of character, talking to you, the audience. I make this show because I love weird fiction and I want to share it with you, but it does cost money to produce it. If you check the link in the show notes, you can make a one-time donation in any amount you like to help keep this show going. It's completely voluntary and this show will always remain free to listen. Thank you and enjoy. This episode includes references to colonial violence against tribes and nations native to North America. Listener discretion is advised. In many places, this violence still persists today. If you live in Canada or the United States, consider looking into the issues facing Indigenous communities in your province, territory, or state, as well as what you can do to support them. The Stranger, Chapter 7. The Forest. It takes a staggering degree of arrogance to think you know the land better than the people who have lived there since before your people even had a name. But that arrogance is in no short supply among men. There was a forest. I won't tell you where. You should never go there. And besides, it might not even be there anymore. Maybe it hasn't been there for a long time. All you need to know about the forest is that it was on Turtle Island, and that the stewards of the land dared not venture within it. They forgot why it was forbidden. Likely, they forgot on purpose to remove the temptation. The knowledge faded over the centuries, but the warning remained. Something vile lived in those trees. There was also a man The man's name was William. William never put much stock into fables or folk tales. Back home, he'd heard tales of fairy rings, of the Elfheim and changelings. But even as a child, he never cared for such things. No, William preferred tales of adventure, of courageous men sailing to far-off lands to tame the savages and bring nature itself to heal under their boot. So of course it was no surprise to anyone who knew him that when William came of age, he joined up with a merchant ship. With nothing but the clothes on his back, a knife, a compass, and a few pennies worth of trashy novels, he sailed to Spain, and then Morocco, and Egypt, and Syria. He sailed to India and to Hong Kong. Everywhere his ship went, He and the crew would trade for spices, for fabrics and silks, for exotic dyes they could sell to the aristocracy back home at a significant markup. Every so often, the first mate would be seen having conversations in hushed tones, something that looked remarkably like the silver of coins would switch hands, and when they left port, there would be boxes not accounted for on the manifest. Everyone knew, but no one openly acknowledged it. William learned not to think of it too often. William traveled across the old world, seeing places many of his countrymen would only ever read about, but it did little to fulfill him. He craved adventure, or rather, he craved what he imagined adventure to be. Everywhere he went, the people were more like him than not. 
Often they spoke different languages or prayed to different gods, but they were far from the barbarians he had imagined since his youth, and his brief stays in their cities were less about swashbuckling and fighting than they were about killing time and trying not to spend too much money. On the rare occasion a fight did occur, it was usually between members of the crew. After returning to London, William knew he needed something new, something different. He caught word of a French ship on the supply stop, heading for the New World, and he knew this was his calling. He tracked down the captain and made his case. As it happened, the captain was shorthanded. This is how William came to the New World. Why should you care about any of this? Because perhaps you know someone like William. Perhaps you are someone like William. Perhaps you should know how easily it could have been anyone. William, after all, was not special. He simply enjoyed the power that came with exercising his dominance over those he saw as being less than he was. He and his compatriots were tasked with removing tribes from valuable land by whatever means necessary. Often this meant taking trades or paying them off. Occasionally, it led to violence. It happened on one of these latter times. William was standing amidst the flames that used to be a camp, rolling a cigarette and watching its former inhabitants, or what was left of them, flee into the distance. The sun had nearly set, and the woods to the east of the village were a deep tangle of shadow, and as he stared at it with curiosity, he heard a voice in broken French pleading with him not to go into the woods, never to go into the woods. He looked down at what he had assumed to be a corpse and saw a man just barely clinging to life. William knelt down, cigarette in hand, and he held the man's hand with something akin to curiosity in his eyes. And then he stubbed out his cigarette in the man's palm, savoring the sound of screaming. It didn't last long. His eyes were drawn back to the woods, and before he even realized he'd moved, his feet began to carry him towards it. His compulsion felt magnetic. It felt like the forest had sunk a hook into his gut, pulling him deeper inside. Light became increasingly scarce, even as his eyes adjusted. Strange, wasn't the sun still up? He was guided by that strange magnetic pull. The deeper he went, the stronger its hold on him became. Around him, he smelled damp, rotting wood, accompanied by the cacophony of insects. Shadows suggested the shapes of ancient trees, gnarled by time into shapes far removed from what William thought a tree should look like. Finally, the pole let him go, and he could almost swear he heard a sound as it did, a voice like moth's wings. Stop, the voice said. Who's there? said William. I am, 
the voice replied. As answers went, it wasn't particularly illuminating. Who are you? William said. It has been so, so very long since anyone has asked me that, young William. Forgive me, it may be difficult for me to answer to your satisfaction. How do you know my name? I hear your mind, my dear William. I hear your heart. I hear the way that killing those men had made your blood hot and thick like tar in your veins. I feel your lust for violence. The stewards of this land brought me here long ago. They cut me off from the rest of the world and then forgot me. Come closer, William. I have something to show you. William did as he was told. He could just barely make something out of the shadow. He produced a match from his pocket and flicked it alight, only to drop it instantly in terror of what he saw. Though it was only visible for a fraction of a second, he felt certain the sight would never leave his mind, for the tree had grown around and through the mummified remains of a man, his face twisted in a mask of terrific agony a branch bursting forth from his throat, and moths crawling across his face. Pardon, my friends, said the voice. William had the impression the voice referred to the moths. I admire your pursuit of dominion, William, but your ambitions just aren't grand enough. I need you to dream a little bigger, William. I need you to let go of that humanity of yours. What are you saying? William demanded. He was frightened, but he was also entranced, and he wasn't sure he could find his way back out on his own. Let me in, William. Let me in. It's been so long. You couldn't understand. Out here in the cold... No one but the trees to keep me company. No one but the moths to bring me news of the outside. Why won't you just let me in, William? And I'll let you sate your thirst in ways you never thought possible. William felt, deep in his soul, the temptation to grant the stranger in the woods the access he so desired. But he also felt trepidation felt certain that if he let this stranger in, he would give up some key component of himself. And so he didn't answer. He turned and he ran. And the voice called after him, William! William! As he fled from that place, William! As he tripped over the roots and scrambled over rocks, William! As he felt the sharpness cut into the palm of his right hand, William! As he finally made it to the tree line, once out of the woods, he heard the voice no more. Where the fuck have you been, London Bridge? Asked one of his crewmates in thickly accented English. They all called him London Bridge, and even sang that obnoxious song whenever he was in earshot. I thought I saw some Indians escaping into the woods, William said. 
absently rubbing at the wound on his hand. I was mistaken. Menon, these Indians are terrified of the woods, said his crewmate as though he thought this was the funniest thing he'd ever heard. William didn't laugh. He excused himself and barely said a word to another soul all night. Then William heard the voice again in the middle of the night. He snapped awake in his tent as he heard it coming from everywhere and nowhere. Wouldn't it be so nice to kill them, William? What? Where are you? William asked, trying to keep his voice down in case he was the only one in the camp who could hear it. Have you ever killed a white man, William? Ever watched the life bleed from them? You haven't, have you? You've only killed those you see as beneath you, which for you means those who look different from you. How tremendously banal. But now you're me, and I'm you, and all men are beneath me, William. William became dizzy and wondered at what the voice had meant. Now you're me and I'm you. When a burning pain like a hot coal lit up his right hand. With his left hand, he reached for a match, stealing himself as he did. The bloody wound had seemed to coagulate with a scab of sticky, gray material. And as he looked closer, he discovered white tendrils rising up from the surface of the scab like tiny hairs of goose flesh. I'm inside you now, William. We are one flesh. Few have had this privilege before. But things are changing, William. The moths bring me news of invaders, cutting down the trees and building labyrinths in their place, great palaces of metal and stone. Take me to these places you call cities, William, but first, kill every last one of your crewmates. I haven't killed anyone in so long, William. Please, do this for me. To his credit, William resisted the voice for all the good it did. He begged it as it used his own hands to kill his crewmates. He screamed and sobbed until the burning infection reached his airways and shut his voice off. And then he heard his own voice speaking without him and it said, Come now, William. Was that really so bad? You loved it when they looked different from you. Why is this any different? William couldn't answer. His mind began to scream and for days it didn't stop, as if by sheer force of will he could force the stranger from the woods out of his body and mind. But in time, it was increasingly clear to William that his body was no longer his. He was a prisoner in his own mind. The stranger had come in and made it his home. And the stranger brought William's body to settlements in towns and camps, and eventually to cities. New York, Boston, Toronto, clinging to the shadows, stealing people in the night, changing them like it had changed William. What little was left of William wondered if these other victims' minds were still aware inside of these other bodies. 
but the stranger never answered this question. The stranger left him to rot inside his own mind, ignoring his screams and his pleas for death. Eventually, William noticed that the stranger began to favor children over adults, and even managed to glean that a child's mind was easier to assimilate while keeping the flesh alive enough to continue to grow. He took up his screaming and begging anew at the thought of children being made into more vessels for this stranger, and after nearly five decades, the voice spoke to him once again. What's wrong, William? You've killed children before. Others you sold into the slave trade. Why am I any worse? William had no answer to this. On a certain level, he had come to believe that this hell was one he'd earned. It's amazing how much a little suffering can change even the most vile hearts. But as is often the case, it was far too little and far too late. Like most men, William never changed his ways when it actually mattered. The voice continued, I grow tired of your petulance, your sulking, your general... Well, I grow tired of you. This body has served me well, but I have a dozen more. This new world is a world full of shadows. Now I can grow and spread in so many ways I never could before. And that's all thanks to you, William. But now, I take my leave of you. And with that, William felt the horrible patchwork that was once his body begin to disintegrate. Decades worth of decay and rot caught up to his body in a matter of minutes, and he could feel the horrible sensation of rotting from the inside out. But he didn't care. He was finally free. The Stranger is written, performed, produced, and mixed by Zach Emery. These events and characters are fictitious, though what is fiction, if not a lie that tells the truth? All brands and public institutions referenced are either fictitious or used fictitiously. All music featured in this show is written and performed by Zach Emery and can be found on SoundCloud. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at TheStranger1935, or you can give your message to the next moth you see. They're your friends. Honest.